folks, and welcome back for episode three of our Euros uh, podcast, the Euro 2020, scratched that out really 2021. I think there's been a lot of football since uh, we last spoke. Scotland were due to play their first game, and have since played twice. Um, one of the groups is now completed, with Group B um, about to be settled this evening as well. And joining me, of course, is my good old dad back in the UK. So an additional, an extra happy Father's Day for yesterday. Before we get into it, how was the cricket, by the way? Cricket, it couldn't have gone better, thank you, apart from the um, the fact that Lancashire was sporting only tied when they probably should have won, um, having got into such a good position. But um, I would have taken it before the game against a strong opposition without two of our best players. So, and... Um, more importantly, it was my granddaughter's first game and uh, that was a success, shall we say. Although uh, my granddaughter being my granddaughter, there was always, there was always going to be reservations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the first time probably we weren't watching cricket and how old we were and I'd probably hazard a guess and say myself and Rachel were probably a similar age and I remember one of Rachel's first games going to watch on a very, very hot Sunday before I think he dropped us in Bolton to go to the cinema with my mum, another family friend and her kid, and we watched The Mask. I think Rach might have had a degree of sunstroke that day because I'm pretty sure she fell asleep watching The Mask, and that's not a film, given how energetic and frantic it is, that you can easily fall asleep to. No. Yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it? It does indeed. It does indeed. Well, before we get into it, I guess the simplest way to do it is probably go group by group, even though uh, we did leave things with uh, just before Scotland's first encounter and some goals in that game as well. Um, it's probably going group by group. But how's the week of football gone for you so far and how have you been enjoying the tournament since we last spoke? It's starting to take shape now. What's your overall take on it before we get into the nuts and bolts of each group? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of football, obviously, in this tournament because of the extended format that UEFA is obviously favouring these days. So you're bound to have um, some, uh, uh, you know, um, mixed range of quality of matches. Um, so you're going to get your, your odd Sweden, Slovakia, uh, to, which you sort of have to endure a little bit um, compared to certain games which really ignite. Um, and and um, So it's been a little bit like that. You, you know, you, I think you have to... The beauty of the format usually is, yesterday being an exception, is that there's at least two rounds of games a, a day. So if you do happen to get a bad one at, at two o'clock or five o'clock kickoff here, then the eight o'clock game usually redeems itself. So you know that's probably the beauty of the tournament. Um, and conversely, if the, the afternoon game happens to be a belter, then you know you've had your you've had your fix, haven't you? So I think that that's how I would sort of say it. Yes, no such thing as too much football. I think is uh, is what you're trying to say. Um, well, in terms of Group A, there were four games since we spoke last. Of course, Wales um, got the win under the belt. Um, I think that really compounded what we'd spoken about and seen so far from Turkey that they are pretty pretty weak. Obviously, um, they didn't really seem to have much of an attacking threat. Um, but obviously, Wales have uh, have got off the mark. So. They were a team that we were writing off a little bit. Um, did they surprise you? Do you think you've got a little bit more about them? And of course, they played Italy. Um, uh, well, this morning for me, um, but overnight for you. Um, and while Italy made a lot of changes, they they somewhat restricted them. Yeah, they they coped quite well with uh, with, with Italy. You know, they showed that they're not out of the depth, so to speak. And in any knockout game, they'll probably be 
you know, a valid opposition for whoever they play. And I think we saw that in the last tournament, you know, obviously beating Belgium and, um, you know, not doing pretty well in the semi-final. Um, you know, they've just got that togetherness. That means that um, as long as we don't get another red card, which we sort of possibly slightly unfortunately did yesterday, yeah. we're going to be, um, you know, in the game quite deep for most games. Um, I think Wales have done okay and slightly better than I thought they would. I think the, it's, the two things I would say that is that if they are going to really upset the apple cart, they do need Gareth Bale on fire and he, he has missed a penalty, he has missed an open goal. You know, if, if, if we were to sort of recapture his mojo, I think, you know, you'd feel a little bit more likely for them to win their last 16 game. But, um, and I also think that having completed that group, it was a fairly weak group. Turkey were, um, you know, were just rolled over pretty easily by about all three teams. Yeah. And um, Switzerland have always been a team that, are there to be taken, if you like. So, much as Italy have, you know, impressed and done the business, I think that last game against Wales put the whole thing into context that, you know, there's the two better teams and and there's and Italy are better than Wales, as we know. Yeah. And I would think that much as it's, you know, wouldn't bet against Italy. You know, have to see them up against the top team, and secondly. It has helped Wales to qualify being in, shall we say, the group of life. <laughs> I like that. Well, they will play the run-up of Group C, Italy, that is, uh, at Wembley. They were um, pretty good against Switzerland and obviously uh, swept them aside and they got the result despite the changes, um, with obviously uh, Verratti uh, returning to the team as well. I think it's 11 wins in a row for Italy without reply, without conceding. Uh, I think it's 30 without defeat overall, so they equal um, a very, very impressive uh, impressive record. Um, Embolo looked a handful again against Italy, um, but obviously, I think as we covered there, Italy are obviously the superior side. If we cover off the last game in that group, which was Switzerland 3, Turkey 1, um, if um, my sources are correct, and we'll talk about Shakiri's goals at the moment, one of them was really well taken and one of them was a really good move that he completed. Um, over 40 attempts on goal in that game. Right. Um, I've not heard that statistic. Clearly, it was a wide open game with uh, which you tend, you can get these kind of games um, with almost nothing to play for in a sense, um, and yeah, maybe that was uh, one that sort of got away while concentrating on another game. That's that is the downside of the, of the tournament, I suppose. You can't. It's difficult to focus on two games at once when they're kicking off at the same time, but not impossible if you're uh, if you need to or you want to. But, I mean, you, most people will tend to be selective about what which one will go for and just keep an eye on the other game. So, yeah, that is a lot. And um, so surprising that Mbolo didn't score, actually, with all those stats. I did, I did see some of it, and uh, he was putting himself about a bit. But, um, yeah, he, as we said last time, or the first time, he's done himself no harm. And uh, that's the upside for people like him. Indeed. Um, and I'm never going to challenge for the for the title. You know, we, we, we can go back decades to players who've been in who were never going to win um, major tournaments, or unlikely to anyway. We just mentioned one, Gareth Bale, George Best. And that's just English, that's just British players. But I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't sort of, if they get the chance in a major tournament, show what they can do. 
Absolutely, yeah, he's done very well. Well, I guess talking about um, centre-forwards who are a handful, I'll bounce from Group A to Group B with a couple of Twitter anecdotes. The first one was I saw somebody put on Twitter, if nobody puts in a £40 million bid for Kiefer Moore on transfer deadline day, after him putting himself about in a major tournament, then football's dead to me, is what somebody said. Someone's going to do it, aren't they? Um, what what was bounding around on Twitter, I noticed, um, in uh, the, the early part of last week, was the tribute that was going to be played to Christian Eriksen. And lots of people saying, well, which of course was Denmark, uh, rather Belgium would kick the ball out of play on the 10th minute. And what happens if Denmark have got the ball? Will they give it to him? Will it go out? And I... I, I I found it very interesting and I almost found it in a sense a little bit over the top and a little bit too much. You know, it's Belgium are taking this opportunity to pay tribute to one of the football family, but what about every other team that wants to pay tribute to them? I found like it, I felt like it stole focus a little bit um, from, you know, Denmark just kind of doing their own thing and just trying to get on to some extent and play football. We talked about that Danish humility um, last week. What was the takeover there with that going on? Did it get similar eyebrows raised about the, the gesture or was it taken in good spirit? Um, initially, it was a little bit, yeah, because it's a, a, we've seen a few of these things, haven't we? we you know, we've seen minute, lots of minutes applause and in the appropriate minute. This was like a new way of going about it. Um, Kicking the ball out of play. What, what, what? what does yeah, it mean? Well, Kicking the ball out of play. Precisely. Um, it's more or less it's just a, a gift to the opposition in a way, but you know, like the weakest gift ever. And um, Give some chocolate. So, so, it's Belgium. Yeah, your eyebrows raised when you first hear it. Then once you get your head around the fact that it's something and nothing. Um, you know, I mean, but it was a bit self-indulgent to Belgium. Um, not saying the virtue signaling, but it was, it was a little bit sort of He's already said it, you know, Lukaku's reaction when he scored in the first game said it all. A natural human reaction to a friend. And then they, obviously they're playing Denmark themselves. Just, just um, you know, say something while you're shaking hands with the opposition or whatever it might be. Just a press conference you know, or whatever like, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, make some kind of comment like that. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't wrong, but I would, I don't think, you know, we could have lived without it too. Indeed. Speaking of indulging, what I don't mind indulging in was those two Belgium goals. They were fantastic, weren't they? First was a great press from Lukaku, finished off by Thog and Hazard. It was a great move. But let's that Kevin De Bruyne looks good. His first touch. Who does he play for? Oh, I mean, Absolutely. that was yeah, just something. Uh... To, it, it was almost like the Matrix making time <laughs> stand still just to take three players out of the game. The pace at which he received the ball, the awareness where Hazard was. I, I mean... It's perhaps not the most, you know, barnstorming, net-busting goal that you've seen in the tournament, but it it was almost perfect football for me. That the press, the pass, the awareness, yeah. the finish. I mean, I I, I love to see um, artistic players get it right and sort of have that moment. And and well, you know, high high praise to even compare them to. To the, what I'm going about to compare them to, but I, I think back to when I was uh, a boy, and the first team that I really got into was the Dutch side in 1974, and it was just poetry in motion to watch that Dutch team. And when they got it right, and when they they executed a move like that, ending with Johan Cruyff scoring with a flourish, you know that's football at its best. 
Yep, it really felt, I like that word flourish, it really felt that, um, yeah, it was on a plate for Hazard, it really was just, yeah, the, the last flick of the brush on a on a, on a masterpiece uh, painting, but yeah, that was um, that was really, really nice football, and De Bruyne's goal as well, we know he can score those um, with either foot uh, on the edge of the box, but just his reaction shows you that um, he, uh, he means business, it looks like, and um, he's really up for it, and We'll talk about England in a moment, but Sterling said in his post-match conference that you know Southgate's trying to show them the positives. Our team starts slow, and it's really interesting because teams that you expect to be in the mix, France drawing that we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, Germany losing before obviously rebounding, Spain having a slow start, and ourselves as well. You've got these teams in Group A, B, C, Belgium, Italy, and we'll talk about Netherlands in a moment, um, that are, are really gaining some momentum, and you wonder who who's going to win the tournament. Is it going to be a late bloomer um, or is it going to be a team like Belgium that um, really just hit the ground running and it's going to be an unstoppable kind of locomotive trainer it's going to be really nice to watch it play out of course it is uh, yeah well, to actually think there's you'd have to you'd have to you struggle to make a case for England but I mean then again it's not out of the question and you, you could easily make a case for four or five teams so that's uh that's another thing that makes it watchable to, because if there was a clear favourite, then not doesn't mean they're going to win it, but it takes away a little bit of the element of surprise. So yeah, I think with the, with De Bruyne and maybe uh, Manchester City's loss is going to be Belgium's game because he's when you get a whack like he did in the uh, Champions League final, um, physically in his face and uh, metaphorically in the bit of his stomach. Um, if that doesn't make you hungry for the, for the next challenge, nothing will. No, indeed. Well, it's well poised, that group, because Belgium play Finland um, and Denmark play Russia. And the way that the goal difference is kind of poised, I think as long as Belgium um, don't hammer Finland and Finland lose by um, no more than two, uh, worse than how Russia may lose to Denmark, Russia could drop from second to fourth. So I think both of those teams are... Russia and Denmark are both on minus two goals, and Finland, I think, are on zero. Um, so, obviously, if Denmark beat Russia, they'd go to minus three, and that means that Finland could lose 2-0 um, and still go through, um, with Russia yeah. dropping from second to fourth. So, no disgrace of Gijon set to happen there. There might be a, a disgrace of Bucharest in Group C, which we'll have a chat about in the moment. Um, Ukraine, um, obviously, picked up their first win. A um, couple of nice goals in, in that game. In fact, all the goals were pretty nice. None of them maybe goal of the tournament, but they're all really well-taken goals. Yarmolenko's at the back post. Pandev's nice little chip to try and uh, to try and bring it back. And Netherlands, again, looking very comprehensive. This boy, Dumfries, from Scotland. Um, yeah, we were talking about his athleticism in the last game, and um, he really knows when to get forward and get on the end of things, doesn't he? Yeah, um, people who um, we didn't know much about before the tournament... Um, maybe the top three would be uh, who come through Mbolo in, in reverse order Mbolo um, Patrick Schick and Dumfries probably at the top of the list yeah may, maybe Schick is probably a, a slight anomaly with that because he's you know he obviously got the move to Roma and then he moved to Leverkusen a couple of years ago and I think it was Pavel Nedved who said, you know, physically he needs to... Pa this is four or five years ago, he's 25 now. Um, you know, he does need to um, maybe bulk up a little bit, you know, and you, you do that as you continue to grow, but you also do that as you work on in the gym. Ronaldo was a great example of that, wasn't he? Um, 
But once he does, he's going to be a bit of a menace. And by all accounts, when he was at Roma, they either played him on the wing, you know, maybe to accommodate Dzeko, um, or they played him up front on his own in absence of Dzeko. And it goes to show that when you kind of somewhat play around this lad, he can score goals and he can do things because he scored a long-range missile, which was just, you know, jaw-dropping almost, and a couple of um, really other uh, comprehensive finishes as well. That group, um, Group C, is... um, He's done and dusted in terms of who's going to top it. Obviously, the Netherlands, but um, there is half a disgrace of Gijon that could happen um, with it being uh, Australia, uh, Australia, Austria, and uh, and Ukraine. Who do you fancy to go through um, that group? North Macedonia look like they're going to be rooted to the floor of the group between Ukraine and Austria. Who do you fancy there? I think Ukraine have a little bit more about them. Um, I'll think over, you know, in a, if they were. In playing in a league and they played regularly, I think I'd expect Ukraine to rise above Austria. Obviously, it's, a, just a, it's not quite as... Uh, we're in a tournament situation, so, you know, could easily go the other way, but got, my gut says Ukraine there. Indeed. We talked a moment ago about that slight difference between groups A, B, C and D, E, F. A has been won by Italy, uh, B looks like it will be won by Belgium, and C by the Netherlands, whereas it's not as clear-cut in D, E and F. Just sticking with those group toppers... For a moment, those teams that have been a bit more convincing consistently thus far, um, Italy, Belgium, Netherlands, out of those three, which ones impress you the most? Well, Italy have been in, in, most impressive in the sense that, you know, they've sort of flown under the radar with this unbeaten run. Um, but I mean, if you're asking me out of those three who's going to go the furthest, it's got to be Belgium. Nothing's, you know, they've all got a chance, they've all got a shot. Um, the Dutch, I don't think, have got quite the wherewithal at the back. So, but the other two, you know, could he quite easily go all the way to the final? Um, I just think with Italy, it can't go on forever, can it? It can't, they've got to concede soon, you know, let alone they've got to not win a game soon. It just has to end. And if, are you, are you going to win four games in a row um, like they, they would need to to win the tournament as well as the 30 games they've already? unbeaten in yeah um, Laura Ravages just counts against them and um, much as um, I'd quite like to see from a personal point of view um, Italy get through and um, like we had the situation on BBC last night on the highlights where Mark Hughes was talking about the job Mancini was doing yeah and I was I was dying for the presenter to uh, to ask him what he really felt of, of Mancini but anyway that's by the by <laughs> and Mancini is Pellegrini maybe who knows I think what's interesting about that is Italy, the way I find Belgium and the Netherlands um, quite comparable is both use of the wide players, really from an attacking point of view. And what, they're not a straightforward group, um, Belgium, so you've got to give them credit. It's been a slightly tougher group than I'd say Italy have had. But I think about Hazard, who finished off the move um, for that lovely goal we were talking about before. But I think he went, he, he had um, 17 duels or 17 50-50s in that last chance, 60-40s, 50-50s, 17 duels, and he lost 13 of them. And when I think about him being a wide player, that suggests to me when the three at the back, um, and with the age of the defenders, and I don't mean to take anything away from um, a Jason Denea or a Dedrick Boyata, but those lads have played, um, have, have, sorry, Denea's featured to, to some extent as well, with Alberville, with Vermaelen, with Vertonghen. If they're exposed at the back and you can get the ball off them, I think you can get at them, whereas just Holland look a little bit more 
They've got a little bit more shape about them. Um, so yeah, another one that will be interesting to see play out. Now on to Group D. We spoke last week just before Scotland Czech Republic, and we touched on um, we touched on Patrick Schick's um, long range effort a moment ago. Um, you've probably seen a little bit. I'll tell you what happened with England Scotland. I overslept on Saturday morning, and I was going to watch the ninety minute version at about six o'clock, and just not turn my phone on. Had to turn my phone on for whatever reason, which I won't go into now. And I thought I'll watch the forty five minute version instead. And someone texted me saying, "Crap that, not the score." So I thought, I'm running out of time. I had to get out to football Saturday afternoon. I thought, I'll watch the 25-minute version when I get back. Got to football. And one of the lads, I said to one of the lads, how was the game? Rubbish, don't bother. So here I've got a 90-minute, 45, 25, 8 or 3-minute version I can watch. Suffice to say, I've watched a little bit more of the game now and I've read up a little bit more of it. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, ironic that, isn't it? That probably before the tournament, the game you would have expected to watch all 90 minutes of. In the, in the group stages and you, you ended up seeing the, possibly the least of um, concerned about England yeah I mean um, probably the most concerning things well would be the ineffectiveness of Harry Kane and um, who is basically undroppable um, Southgate said as much hasn't he now he said what? He said as much, hasn't he? He's our most important player. I'm not going to drop him. Yeah, and, and you know, who, who says he won't come good? Um, but you're not going to drop him in a knockout game. Uh, is it? Would it be wise just to give him a breather against um, against the Czechs and uh, you know, in a match that England ought to have enough with his, his replacement, yep. whether it's Calvert Lewin or Rashford or whoever they might choose. Um, just to, because you can't, you would you wouldn't want to drop him in a knockout stage, you know. So it's just not going to happen. So if it is going to happen, it needs to be tomorrow night. Um, and with him and with Sterling being, um, I think you know, increasingly exposed as um, limited, then England were basically playing with nine people. Uh, against the Scots, and who who play it was the match of their life, and let's give them credit first of all, first and foremost. You know, it was they played, they, they did everything you could expect of them, and I wouldn't say they deserved to win, but they didn't deserve to lose. So the draw was the fair result, but you've got to over oh, 90 minutes, you've got to sort of overwhelm a team like that with your superior in, ability of individuals and as a team. Yeah, and it never looked like happening. Never looked like happening, um, and this—it was a perfect example to me of when you play in Croatia. They're highly ranked. They're given the, the, we used to lose into them. You give them a bit of extra respect, like we did, and it worked. Uh, with Sterling scoring his one in fifteen goal that he would that he scores at tournament level. Um, when you play Scotland, you take the pan break off you. You go at them, you drop a holding midfielder, and you try and assert your authority. And uh, what did he do? He just fiddled with the pullbacks. So it stems from the manager, um, and as we saw, you're a '96. You can go from wild extremes in the tournament. You can be, you can play mediocre against Switzerland, and suddenly, you know turn it on against Scotland and be incredible against Holland and then be go back to being average again. So they might be great tomorrow night, 
but there is cause for concern. Yeah, just tinkering with the full-backs didn't seem enough for me. You've got a big squad, and it's the strongest squad we've had um, in, in a good number of tournaments now. And I fancied us to change things up a little bit more. One, probably take out um, the holding midfielder, or um, at least put in um, a, a midfielder in place of either Phillips, which would have been hard to drop because he was man of the match, or Mount, who happened to be active, for someone who's probably going to break into the box a little bit more and join in with Kane. You know, whether that's Rashford and slightly change the shape and put Foden in behind and Rashford wide, um, or whether that's Grealish and play him in the midfield who um, can can get in there and join in at the same time. For me, I think where we missed the trick is that game's always going to be a little bit more direct than some of the others, a little bit more played in the air. And one of the secret, or two of the secret weapons for Scotland is both Tierney and Robertson um, getting down the wing and putting crosses in. And that leaves space. And to exploit that space... I think you fight fire with fire because ours is stronger. You put a winger in, you can put balls into the box, and that's not Phil Foden. That's not his game when he's playing on the right-hand side. And you put in a forward, maybe in place of one of the midfielders instead, and put two up front, they're strong in the air, like a Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And you you grab a goal from a set-piece, or you have an extra um, aerial threat in a set-piece, or you increase your chances in open play, and like I say... I think maybe Southgate's been a little bit too snobbish to say we don't want to stoop down to play in that level of football. Um, whereas keeping it simple, it probably would have worked. But you're quite right; they ought to. The four points should be enough. It's obviously where they're going to finish in the group, and there's the potential if they win the group anyway, they're going to face a really strong team as a runner-up out of Group F. So they'll lose the home advantage at Wembley if they don't win the group. Um, but they might end up with a slightly easier route. So I guess you've sort of got to take you got to try and think of that as somewhat of a win-win. But um, now, after such a stale performance, if he doesn't, if he changes it up too much, it can cause, I guess, almost a lack of... The players can sometimes feel a lack of where they stand. Have we been dropped or are we freshening it up? So he's got to be really careful about how he communicates that. That sort of takes us nicely into, into Group A because a player who got the manager's support and played and scored and then missed an absolute sitter was um, Morata. Um, now, if I compare England and Scotland versus the Sp- versus the Spain-Poland game, I would say that if you had your choice of playing Scotland or Poland, Scotland's your easier opponent. Yet when I look at that Spain game, Scotland had chances, so we obviously didn't control the game that much, but Poland had next to nothing, two or three chances, and Spain, they just lacked finishing. They had no issue creating chances. Now, this is a team who supposedly part ageing, in transition, they've had players with COVID, they've had to lock down, the preparation's been really poor, they look more of a goal, they look more of an attacking threat I should say, it's just the finishing that seems to be the problem, than England, so if you're going to write off Spain, you know, and say they're not as good as France or Germany, you have to write off England, did you see much of the Spain game, and what have you seen of those guys so far, so far? and I'll, I'll take a shut up for a minute... <laughs> Yeah, I'll just briefly go back to England and say that it was the first game that the um, the uh, national grid went into meltdown after five minutes, by the way. Not right. at half-time. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen, I saw quite a lot of Spain against Sweden. Um, they said huffed and puffed. And a reasonable amount of the game with the Poles, to, to know what you're saying there. And um, what, what a good... Um, don't like to sort of just quote other pundits all the time, but um, Rob Earnshaw 
actually made some good points about this, the, about Morata in particular, or the Spanish approach. And he said he actually got lucky with that goal because he was sort of stuck behind the defender and he just sort of he just sort of moved forward at the right moment and it just sort of fell for him and he put it away. And it's he said he actually he should have run across him and come up, you know, timed his run. Hmm. So Morata, yeah, that we know with Harry Kane that you know if we get the further we go, he, he won't be ineffective totally. I think the difference between the two sides, they're probably more creative, like you say. Although England could be if they allowed, um, if they got the right players on the pitch. Um, you know, we have, we have potential to be. Um, they are more creative, but they're not really, uh, they've not got a reliable finisher. Yeah. Um, or, um, although, they, you know, again, they've got good forwards. Um, We've done it in Europa leagues and other tournaments, you know. But I think we may have said this last week. The fact that there's not a Real Madrid player in the squad, I don't think I'm like they used to say about English cricket when Yorkshire cricket's strong, English cricket's strong, mm-hmm. when Spanish football's strong. Um, the analogy has been made with a few teams over the years and a few sports, including football, I'm sure. And uh, when you know, you would think that Spanish football isn't that strong with Real Madrid can't provide a player. Yeah, indeed. It, it does bring it into question. Of course, they're one of the you know strongest 12 clubs on the planet, aren't they now, after the, the break? Oh, no. We all know what happened with that. Um, well, I guess to, to, to almost wrap up, that group is, is also taking a little bit of shape as well. The last one was, we almost had a real shock on our hands with Hungary taking the lead. Did you see um, Attila Fiola's celebration as Hungary took the lead against France? It was obviously a great sweeping move and there was... Another good counter attack to talk about in the Portugal game in a moment. But did you see the did you see celebration? I didn't. Um, with his name being Attila, did he go and conquer a neighbouring country? I don't know what happened. He went and conquered a uh, press desk of a, an almost ignorant and busy female journalist who was you know talking into the screen or jotting some notes down. So he 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 burst down the left hand side. I think he's he's a wing back uh, for Hungary. Burst down the left hand side and obviously took the ball away. It was a lovely finish. Um, and he wheeled right across the goal and headed to the opposite corner flag, so almost to, to Hungary's right wing. And as he approached the crowd, and the crowd were gesticulating at him, and he was reciprocating, um, there was just like a trestle table laid out behind the corner flag, and a journalist scribbling some notes, or I can't remember what it was. And he banged the table, double fist. <laughs> she absolutely bricked it. I really felt That's for great. her. Yeah, I mean, obviously... I need to, I need to check that out. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, if it's half as good as you've... Uh made it sound that's uh, that's well worth watching a lot <laughs> of passion now france obviously... better than uh, better than cradling your arms under the baby celebration absolutely <laughs> absolutely now obviously we know france can play some really uh, nice stuff when they, they get going it can be a pretty well-oiled machine but at that point and i can imagine um uh papas and uh, and and their sons in france probably pulling their hair out and getting stressed as England fans often do and as City fans often do when you feel like you're chasing a game and it's slipping away from you. You can see it in the body language of the French players a little bit. I think it was a route one goal in the end uh, that got them back into it and um, sometimes it's just got to be done. Big boot from Lloris and um, Griezmann tucked it away in the end. Yeah, just on that one particular player, I think he's such an asset, isn't he? Um, He's so reliable, he's so, so steady. Now he's got massive experience. It's almost like, you know, in in Griezmann you trust if you're French. You know, something, you know, if somebody's going to get you out of a, a sticky situation, 
you wouldn't think it would be Paul Pogba, would you? Um, well, Pogba plays well for France from... generally, doesn't he? Yes, true. That is very true, and he, he, he does seem more switched on, and I'm doing him a slight disservice there. But what I mean is, um, you know, if you're in the trenches and somebody's got to go over the top and you've got one man to do it, you pick Griezmann instead of Pogba. Indeed. Probably someone else who deserves credit, and maybe this is where they'll come good, because I think Mbappe was a handful in the game as well. Most of what they were creating, yes, Griezmann often steps up, but most of what they were creating seemed to go through Mbappe. And we've had this conversation offline in the past about you know, Erling Haaland or Mbappe. And for me, it's Mbappe. He's much more an exciting player. He's much more creative. He's much more almost unpredictable. And, you know, part of watching football is that unpredictability and um, being sort of prepared for anything to happen, that spontaneity. Um, but where they might um, where they might still remain challenges, obviously they've got quite a strong backbone, very experienced goalkeeper. Um, and the player that we've not spoken about in that spine is probably Varane. And when you go back to the Germany game, um, you know, to organise yourself and, and, and beat um, a high-standard team like Germany, um, you know, it's you, you've got to give some credit to someone organising the defence, as we saw with, say, Diaz at City across the course of the year. And Varane really seems to be that guy for France. And, um, yeah, I think Griezmann came out and said uh, they're hungry and they're angry. So that Portugal showdown is going to be a really, really good game. Just the last mm-hmm. word on Griezmann. He is a very consistent player, so consistent. He has three children. All born on the same day of the year. Different years, of course. Well, you're coming out with some belters today. Um, didn't know that either. And that's, uh, that either takes some remarkable planning or uh, sort of... Um, but it does, um, yeah, it does coincide with... Uh, just chime with uh, the sort of player he is. Crazy, eh? Um, and the other game in that group, as we, uh, as we wrap up, was obviously a goal fest. The biggest scoring game of the tournament so far. And for me... This game was more about, um, I guess, obviously forwards taking chances, but it was more about poor defending than it was about great attacking. I don't know how you, what you thought well, about it. it, it yeah, um, including the Portugal goals, I think you, that's what you're trying to say. Um, it just seemed as though Portugal didn't seem to realise that Germany had a spare man on the left half the time, and it was just seemed a little bit too easy to, to score some of those goals. Um, and um, maybe I think possibly where they're struggling where Portugal their weak link maybe somebody like Pepe um, I'm not saying that anybody played well in their defence or, or they organised themselves well or, or, or defended well as a unit but he's a player who you sort of look at and think never been that great now he's getting old and you know he's somebody you can quote unquote get at yeah Absolutely, he, um, he he is. I mean, what really surprised me was I've seen statistics about Ronaldo not putting the legwork in anymore. Put you know, and conserving his energy and becoming a different type of player in Italy. And you know, United fans being times I guess it's such deluded and living in the past, thinking the player that they would resign in Ronaldo is the one that left them. But actually, for the counter attack goal, I think he cleared the header from the set piece first of all, and then he busted up the pitch. It was it was a good goal, and but it, it shows you that there is some creativity there. There is a goal threat. Jota played quite well and uh, was obviously a part of that move at the same time as well. But yeah, defensively, I think if you're relying on that transition's got to happen now between Pepe to Diaz, um, if they're really going to, I guess, kick on and remain in the mix as um, as, a, as a top class nation. So we'll see. So Group B will um, will get settled um, across the next night or so, and I think there's every chance we'll probably speak towards the end of the week once we know who's playing who. It's hard to predict it because we've got this convoluted system of third place in the group and we've got to obviously marry up 
who's you know the best place third place is before we can see what the draw looks like but by the time we speak at the end of the week we should be a little bit clearer on that we should be seeing how the golden boots taking shape and maybe we can make some predictions for the knockout stages sounds like a plan lovely stuff okay (laughs) 